amazing. <clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. We are, um, we are a little like a sparse, but that's a good thing, social distancing. That's exactly what we should be doing. Uh, but I guess welcome to, to people uh, tuning in from home as well. I'm sure that there's a number of us today. Um, yes. So today we begin... And uh, so begins in the, you know, in the church, the beginning of uh, the week leading into Easter. And we just heard uh, the, the Palm Sunday uh, passage read out and it, it powerful passage. Even the stones will cry out. Uh, incredible. Just amazing. And uh, yeah, so begins our, our week of celebrations uh, of Easter. Uh, so please do join us today. We're celebrating with a sausage sizzle. Um, so join us afterwards for that. We'll be social distance, of course, but that would be great. Um, as well, we've had some other really cool things. I don't know if you've managed to listen to some of our podcasts that have been coming out where we've interviewed lots of different people and we still have another week of that this coming week. Um, I, I've loved hearing from all different people uh, from our church and what Easter means to them and the impact that it has made on their life um, and in particular in this last year as well. Um, it's been amazing. Um, so I don't know about you, but this past week, I've spent a lot of time reflecting and in conversations that I've had with different people about where we were this time 12 months ago. Um, and I realized today, we, it's a bit uncertain. <laughs> we may be looking at some of that again. Uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, but it was just over 12 months ago. It was last Sunday, actually, 12 months ago that we had our first church service in, in lockdown. Um, this, time, this time a year ago, we were preparing to celebrate Easter in lockdown, and our services were online, and um, I'm sure Rivers, just like where I was at the time, were muddling our way through and, and discovering how do we be a church that doesn't meet in person. If you could imagine going back two years ago from now, and imagine if I told you, oh, in 12 months, we're going to have to be a church that doesn't meet in person. You would think, what? That is just like unheard of, literally. Um, such a strange thing to think, but there we were, um, muddling that through and working that out uh, 12 months ago. I wonder if you can remember what that time felt like for you. What did that time feel like? Were you run off your feet, you know, running around trying to organize things, as I'm sure Tim and Megan and other people were um, here at church? Um, were you feeling really overwhelmed by all of the change that was happening so fast and we had to all learn to navigate Zoom and all this different technology really quickly? Were you nervous about being isolated, um, not being able to have people contact throughout the week as we normally would? Did you struggle with cancelled holidays and events uh, and they suddenly had all of this time on our hands. Um, perhaps you were a little more like me, who I acknowledge I was in a very privileged position through, through that time. And staying home for me actually ended up being kind of restful. Uh, it was a great break. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Um, or perhaps, you know, 12 months ago, you were genuinely worried about contracting the virus, the coronavirus, because remember back then, as opposed to now, we actually, we didn't know what was about to happen at that time. We didn't know what we know now, that Australia, we've actually handled things pretty well compared to so many countries, you know, in the world, and we're fared pretty well compared to so many countries. But we didn't know that at this point 12 years ago. We had no idea what was around the corner. And I guess in that sense, there was kind of, it was a bit scary at that time. 
something that I found really interesting, and I wonder if you uh, saw this happening as well, something I found really interesting was the different responses that were coming from Christians um, towards the pandemic and towards, you know, what was happening. And there were very, very varied responses. If there was a spectrum, it was sort of everything from this side to this side, everything in between. I remember people saying right at the beginning um, of COVID, like prophesying, they were prophesying saying God had said um, that the pandemic would be over by Easter last year. It'll be over by Easter. Here we are in Easter, you know, the year later, and it's still threatening us. Um, in that same vein, um, there was lots of people, you know, praying for God to, to heal the world of COVID, something that we should still do, um, but hasn't happened as yet. We saw people, uh, of course, buying up everything, all of the toilet paper, all of the pasta, all of the mints. It was like the apocalypse was coming. And, and maybe some people and some Christians felt that, yeah, this could be. This is the end, the end times. Uh, we saw people uh, working hard. Uh, look, Christians working hard to help the needy and the vulnerable. I know here in Brisbane, there was a big move to help um, international students who were suddenly stranded here without jobs or money or, or anything. And, and uh, there's a big movement among churches to uh, feed them and help people. Um, we saw as well, uh, quite sadly, um, some Christians around the world preaching that this was God's judgment. This was God's judgment coming on the wicked world that he had sent COVID as a, as a punishment, as a, as a judgment. And of course, we also saw Christians uh, in different places sort of crying out about persecution because we couldn't meet in our buildings. We had to wear masks and things like that. And for some people, that felt like persecution. So the response from Christians was so varied, wasn't it? And I'm sure there was many more as well as that too. But I think it's really interesting to reflect on how, you know, when this global crisis hit, how Christians and how followers of Jesus responded. Um, and even more interesting was how followers of Jesus re re expected that Jesus would respond, expected what God's response would, would be. I think it's really interesting that everybody, we, we all tend to think of our response as being the one that God is in, don't we? Um, our opinion, my opinion, must be God's opinion. And, and uh, I think this is something that God's people have done all the way, you know, back to the, the nation of Israel. This is something that we do. Um, but as I think, as we reflect today on, on Palm Sunday, on this passage that we've looked at, that God's plan is usually so much bigger than ours. His purposes are usually so much grander than ours. So we read our passage earlier in Luke chapter 19. And in, in this passage, in this story, we see Jesus finally enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It is a really big moment. Um, and this super significant day falls in the midst of a pretty dark time in Israel's history. I'm sure you're aware of this, but at the time, uh, Israel is ruled by Rome. They've been overtaken by the Romans. And the Romans had a very oppressive rule. You know, the Israelites were uh, really, you know, kept very oppressed. Um, and uh, a lot of freedoms removed. And Rome, uh, yes, kept them uh, under very strict sort of rules and things like that. Um, and so Israel finds themselves in the middle of this, and they are longing. These are God's chosen people. This is, this is his holy nation. And so they find themselves longing for the days of King David. 
when they were an independent and prosperous nation. They longed for the days. In the midst of all of this oppression and, and all of this awfulness under the Roman rule, they do have hope. There is hope because it has long been prophesied that a Messiah would rise up and save Israel. And they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping and hoping and and hoping for this Messiah to come, this one who had been prophesied about. And they also had a very, very clear picture um, and expectation of what it would be like when this Messiah did come. They had a pretty clear picture of what that would look like, that he would finally come and liberate them uh, from this oppressive rule and they would, he would overthrow the Romans and, and they would be, or whoever was, happened to be the Romans at this time, but whoever was you know, ruling them when the Messiah came, he would overthrow them and, and restore them to their rightful place as God's chosen people. This is what they believed was coming. This is what they were hoping for and what they were expecting. And now here is Jesus who seems to be this Messiah. They've seen he's got power to cast out demons. He he heals the sick. He raises the dead. He forgives sins. This has got to be him. This has got to be the one they've been waiting for. Have you ever anticipated something so strongly? Wanted for something so badly that you almost can't bear it? This is where the Israelites are heading into this particular day when Jesus enters Jerusalem. So on this day, on this Palm Sunday, it seems that he's finally come. The Messiah has finally come. He's come to take back Jerusalem and claim his throne. So a huge crowd gathers at this mountain as Jesus makes his way down into, into Jerusalem. And they, they welcome him. They cry out his praises. They lay down the palm branches and the clothes off their own back uh, to usher in this king who is going to save them all. He's going to save them all. And the thing is that Jesus, he does ride into Jerusalem as a king. And in doing so, he fulfills a whole bunch of prophecies um, Mel, I don't think my click is working, so I'll let you go through the, to, to the slide. But in, in Zechariah, one of the prophets, um, in chapter 9, verse 9, there is a prophecy about this coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfills it on this day. He says, Shout, Jordan Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So by riding in on this young donkey, Jesus publicly proclaims to be this king. He is the one who will sit on David's throne. That would not have been lost on these people, not at all. So this is a big moment. The king is here, the one who has been prophesied about for generations. He's finally here and the word has spread and the crowds have gathered and they cheer and they roll out their, you know, the equivalent of their red carpet. Uh, and this is truly a king's welcome. A lot of commentators say that this may have been one of the most political moments in Jesus' life. He rides into the capital of Israel claiming to be the king. It was a very strong statement, very strong moment. And he is the king. He's just not the king that they were expecting. 
And we see this because pretty much straight after this triumphant entry into Jerusalem where they cry out and, and they praise and it's this incredible moment, but pretty much straight after that, something quite odd happens. Um, and we see Jesus, he looks over Jerusalem and he begins to weep. He begins to cry. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this, this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and will encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Why during this triumphant moment of the king, Jesus, claiming his place, claiming his throne, why does he weep over his people? I think there's two things happening here. The first is that Jesus is claiming his place as king. The people had been wondering if, if this was him, is this the one? And the answer is a resounding, yes, this is him. This is the king who has been prophesied about. There is no doubt about that. This is him. But the second thing that's happening is that his rule is not going to look how you thought it was going to look. Jesus weeps because his people don't understand who he is or why he is there. This day that was supposed to bring them peace is now hidden from their eyes and they did not recognize when God came to them. They wanted liberation from those Romans so badly, but they failed to see who Jesus really was. They did not recognize Jesus as God before them. Not only is Jesus not here to physically rescue Israel from the Romans, he, he actually, he says here that a time is coming when Jerusalem is going to be overrun. It's going to be taken from them, which is the exact opposite of what they had been hoping for. Jesus' purpose was not to liberate Israel from Rome and to restore their glory as they were hoping for. Jesus' purposes always transcend our very human agendas. His purpose wasn't to overthrow a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one, and to usher in God's kingdom. And this is what the people failed to see. The people were waiting for political change and transformations to the systems and the policies, all for the purpose of their own liberation. And their long-awaited king had come, and in many ways, this was a, a political moment in that way, but, but their agenda was not his agenda. Jesus' agenda was not a human agenda. His agenda was God's kingdom. His agenda is the transformation of human hearts. Now, this isn't to say that Jesus doesn't care about broken systems and corrupt governments and policies and all of those things. Of course, of course he does. Of course, these things matter a lot. But all of those things stem from human hearts. And that is what this king had come to fix. Jesus' agenda wasn't a human agenda. It was a divine agenda. It was the transformation of human hearts, which affects everything else. So on this day, the crowds gathered to celebrate this king. But in only a few short days, as I'm sure you are very familiar, in only a few short days from this day, most of them will have disappeared. 
while Jesus endured the cross, which was his real mission. He wasn't the saviour they wanted, but he was the saviour they needed. They just didn't know it. Everything that followed this triumphant Palm Sunday probably felt like a letdown to most of the people gathered there that day. We see that when everybody scatters <laughs> from the cross, even some of Jesus' closest followers. I don't know if you've ever waited eagerly for something, waited eagerly only to feel a little bit let down or a lot let down. This, this triumphant moment seems to these people to have a very anticlimactic ending. But this is only because they failed to see who Jesus really was and why he was really there. So Jesus didn't fit into the boxes that the Israelites had put him into. He was much greater. His purposes were much greater than their human agendas and he still is. I don't think that we today... Christians in 21st century, I don't think that we can be claimed to be far greater than Israel was. We know a lot more now. We have the Bible, which is amazing, but we are still human. And we can still tend to have our own agendas sometimes, or even boxes that we attempt to sort of neatly place God into. Uh, you know, I, uh, This is what I think God is like, and, and this is what I think his agenda is, and uh, just like the Israelites did. For example, we talked earlier about um, all of the ways that Christians responded to the pandemic, all of those different varied ways. And most would say that they thought that they are right, that that is the side that Jesus would be on, that their opinion is the one that, that God has, that COVID is God's judgment on the world, or that this, this is this awful persecution because we can't meet in person. You know, that's what God thinks. There are so many ideas and opinions out there about what God is like and, and how he thinks and, and how he should act. And the pandemic responses are just one example. Another even more significant one is probably the fact that we have so many denominations within the church, so many different arms and branches. And uh, all of these probably started, I'm assuming at some point, by somebody saying, well, I don't think that's quite right. I don't think God's, that, that's not quite the way I think God wants it. So I'm going to start this one. This, I think this is probably how most of our different branches of the church started, the genuine thinking, this is what God wants. But I think, and this is how I have been impacted by this Palm Sunday story, is that Jesus so often transcends our opinions. He so often transcends our expectations of him. He, he does not fit into these boxes that we sometimes create for him, and he certainly does not succumb to human agendas. He is far greater than our opinions, our expectations, our agendas, and his purposes are far, far greater than ours. The prophet Isaiah talks about this in chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts, this is God speaking in, in Isaiah's prophecy, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His purposes are not our purposes. His ways are not our ways. They are so much better. 
Often our human purposes, they can be rooted in self-preservation or self-glorification, just as the Israelites were in this story. But God's kingdom purpose is always transformation, always transformation from the inside out. I don't know about you, but I actually find this to be such a great source of hope. Because even though there are moments, because I am human, even though there are moments when I would love God to act how I want him to act, and I would love God to do what I want him to do, there is also great comfort in the promise that his thoughts and his ways are higher than mine. He is like that good parent who sees the things that we can't see. And even though we might think that it's just so totally unfair that mum and dad, you know, they won't give me what, what I want and they actually, they know what I need. And they are being good parents by acting accordingly even if we, the children, don't always see it that way. I think there is so much comfort and hope here that even if God doesn't always fit into my boxes, he does love me and I can trust him. Sometimes we just need to lift our eyes to be able to see that. We, we sang this very line in the song just before, uh, and there is a great psalm as well that talks about this. In Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So I don't know if you, if you know this, but the city of Jerusalem is actually surrounded by mountains. It's surrounded by mountains. It's kind of down in this valley. Um, so all of the happenings of these people of, of Jerusalem, everything that's happening in their lives, um, or every hardship, every difficulty, it all occurred down in this valley. And all of their focus of their day-to-day is down in this valley. And this poem, it, it's, it talks about it and it says, Israel, lift your eyes to the mountains. Lift your eyes off what is happening down here in this valley, in this day-to-day, what is happening right in front of you, and lift your gaze to the horizon. God is where your help comes from. I think that so often our gaze can be fixed on the problem that is right here in front of me. And I just want God to act and to change something about what's happening right here, where my gaze is fixed. Because this is all that I see right now. But as I think the psalm so beautifully puts it, let's lift our eyes to the mountains, to the horizon, to the big picture of God's redemptive work in his creation. Let's lift our eyes to eternity because he is good and we can trust him. Even if his agenda is not our agenda, let's put our hope in in God's kingdom purpose. That is where our help comes from and this is where our hope comes from. So when life consumes us, when our gazes are fixed on the complexity and the messiness and the pain and the, and the suffering of life, and our instinct is just to want God to act in this situation, and of course we should pray for these things, but perhaps that still small voice whispers to us, look up and see what I am doing. His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. He doesn't fit into any of the boxes that we try and put him in. He is far greater. And his purposes are far greater. And this is where our hope is. 
This is our confidence. Not that we can predict God or how we think he should respond. Our confidence is in the fact that he is good and he is trustworthy. I really love um, the C.S. Lewis stories, uh, the Narnia stories. Um, And I think C.S. Lewis talks about this. He captures this so beautifully um, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe story. So I'm sure you're familiar, but if you're not, uh, in the story, uh, Narnia has been taken over by this evil white witch, and she keeps them in an eternal winter. And and, uh, there's this great lion, Aslan, and he represents Jesus in the story, the Savior. And it has been prophesied that one day he will come and he will end the reign of the white witch. And in this one particular scene, the Pevensey children have come to Narnia from London. And Susan, she, she grapples with the, this idea of this savior, Aslan. She grapples with it. And upon asking who Aslan is, Mr. Beaver answers by saying, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I think our King Jesus may not be very predictable or even as C.S. Lewis puts it, or even safe. And he is far greater than any of the boxes that we put him in or our expectations that we place on him, but he is good and he is worthy of our trust. The Apostle Paul talks about this as well. And if you're familiar with Paul's story, he knew suffering. He well and truly knew suffering. So much happened to him in his life, in his pursuit of God and his kingdom. Um, And God, even when he cried out to God to take away his suffering, to take away this pain, this thorn in his flesh, God didn't. He didn't prevent his suffering or take it away. Uh, And in this passage where Paul talks about this, he talks about his weakness. Uh, There is this little promise that I think is so beautiful from God. It simply says, my grace is sufficient for you from 2 Corinthians. We cannot possibly place God in any box. He is far greater and his purposes are far greater than ours, but he does promise again and again and again to never leave us, to never forsake us, to be our strength. My grace is sufficient for you. This is our certainty and our confidence. So on this Palm Sunday, as we remember the day that King Jesus entered Jerusalem to take his rightful place, and of course we know what happens from that point, but as we remember this day of the triumphant entry, let's remember the work that God did in that week that followed. And let's remember that it actually looked nothing like what the people at the time had hoped for, but it was far greater. God's purposes are far greater than ours. We don't always understand his ways and he doesn't always act in the way that we think that he he will or even should. (laughs) But he is good and he is worthy of our trust and he has invited us to be a part of this great kingdom mission. So in these times of uncertainty, even today, this time of uncertainty that we face, I think that God's invitation to us this morning is the same that it is every other morning, and that is to trust him. 
to trust that he is good, that he does love us, that he does have a kingdom mission, that we can lift our eyes off these current circumstances and we can see from his kingdom perspective. And then we can join him in what he is doing in this great redemptive work. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for everything that today represents. On this day that for for the Israelites 2,000 years ago was so long awaited that you, the king, would enter Jerusalem to take your place, to take your place as king. But God, we know that the kingdom that you were bringing actually looked nothing like what the people at the time thought it was going to look like, but it was far greater. It was far greater, so great, in fact, that it's still just as relevant to us today in 2021 as it was on that day. God, thank you that this is where our, our hope can be. This is where our confidence can be, is that your purposes are so much greater than ours. Your ways and your thoughts are so much greater than ours. And we can trust that. That even though what's in front of us and the uncertainty that might be in front of us, and we may even want to sort of predict or say what you should be doing in that situation, but our confidence and our trust is in the fact that you are far greater, that your ways are far greater, that your plan is far greater, your kingdom is far greater. God, thank you for the hope. Help us to lift our eyes to the mountains, as, as the psalmist says, and see you, Lord, where our help comes from. We just trust you, Lord. We want to say that we trust you. We trust you even though we don't always see what you're doing. We trust you because we know that you are good. You are good and you are gracious. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Sam.